0: 1937, a boy was growing up in England and he was about to turn 11. And he wanted for his birthday what pro- probably most boys at that time wanted around that age. He wanted his own bicycle. So, like most children, he dropped some hints to his parents and other times was very direct in making the ask I would like to have a bicycle for my birthday. So, the morning of his birthday came made his way down the stairs, eager, hopeful that he would see the bicycle. But there was no bicycle there. Instead, his main gift was not a bicycle. It was a typewriter. A typewriter for an 11-year-old. I'm not saying a keyboard for a computer, not a keyboard for a gaming system. This was a basic typewriter. What kind of parents would give to a boy who wants a bicycle a typewriter? Were they uncaring? Were they cruel? Were they inattentive? I think at times, when it comes to praying, we feel something like that boy. There are times in life we have asked of God and not received what we've asked for. We've received something different, or at times, we've received nothing at all. And so we wonder, does God care? Does he listen to our prayers at all? Does he love me? Does he even want me to pray? There's more to the story of the 11-year-old boy and his parents, Were his parents incredibly cruel? No, not at all. In fact, they knew him and loved him well because four years before, he'd been injured in a car accident. He had severe damage to his skull. And they knew if he had a bicycle, and a bicycle crash, it's very likely that it could kill him. They also knew that their son loved to read and write. So what better gift than a typewriter? And so with that gift, he began to read and write even more. In time, this unwanted gift became his most treasured possession as a boy. This boy would later be a man named J.I. Packer, who would be a tremendously influential Christian author who would author and co-author over 50 books in his lifetime. One of them, a great Christian classic called Knowing God he certainly did not get what he asked for that day. And he didn't see it at the time, but his parents were graciously giving to him something good. In fact, something even greater. And this is something like our Heavenly Father when we pray who gives good gifts to his children And so today we explore how does Jesus want us, you and me, how does he want us to think about praying to our God? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 7. Today we're in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7, and the Bible's near you, you can find it on page 812. Page 812, I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible just so you can see the text in front of you today, you see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers, so we're in chapter 7. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers, so we'll start with number 7 and go through verse 11. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one. At the back of the room, there's a table, there's a stack of Bibles there, you just grab one of those following the service, you don't have to ask permission, please just take one with you this morning. So Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7, these are the words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This morning in our passage, we see this emphasis. Keep asking your gracious Father who gives good gifts to his children. Keep asking your gracious Father who gives good gifts to his children. As we look at our text today, we'll look at it in three parts. First, we'll see a stirring invitation. Second, a stunning promise. And then third, a generous father. So first, a stirring invitation, verse 7. We're continuing today in this portion of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in for several weeks now from Matthew 5 through 7. and We've been reminding ourselves each week that this is a sermon given by Jesus, the king who has come and he's announcing that his kingdom is breaking into the world. And this sermon is a description of what it's like to live in his kingdom, how how this kingdom ethic changes us. Now, very importantly, Jesus is not saying, do these things to earn your way into the kingdom, but for those who've come to know the king as Savior and received his salvation by faith, this is how we live in light of that salvation from that grace. This is how we are to live. So then Jesus starts, verse 7, and three times he urges, he invites us, To pray, notice what he says ask, seek, knock. And the sense of the verbs here is like this ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Now, why these three different images ask, seek, and knock? Most likely it's to intensify this, to to intensify the command, to give the cumulative effect of urging us to this persistent praying. So what is Jesus trying to get across to his followers? What does he want to get across to us is that Jesus desires for his followers to pray with intentional persistence and with childlike boldness. Friends, we are to be an asking, seeking, knocking people. This is what prayer is, us speaking to God. We we read his word and respond to that. We pray. we, We see the needs in our life, in the world. We speak to God in prayer. But notice, this is not a suggestion. It's not intended to be an optional practice for the more spiritually advanced or for the more mystical followers, but in fact, it's a command from our Savior. From our King, he commands us, Ask. But in the context, it's not a scolding command. It's not ask or else. It's intended to be a more persuasive, inviting command, as if he's saying, won't you ask? Why wouldn't you ask? Please ask. So we see a stirring invitation. But then second, we see a stunning promise in verse 8. Jesus gives actually a flood of promises connected to his urging of his followers to pray. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So how might we summarize these promises. Our Father will answer and give good things. Your Father will answer and give good things. Why does Jesus lay out the, the promises like this, just building them upon one another? It is that He wants to persuade us to ask, He wants to convince us to have confidence to ask our Father. And these promises are, are not intended to be understood as an equation or a contract. It's not that every single time we pray, we will always receive they're more proverbial in the sense that this is very often the way that God works in the world though that we ask and he does give we seek and we do find that's how God very often works in the world and who is this stunning promise for friends notice verse 8 for everyone who asks receives so this promise is for everyone not just a few Not just some, it's not for everyone except for you. It's everyone who asks, receives. Of course, the context of this teaching is directed to those who are followers of Jesus, who, who trust in him as king. So these are not words that are saying that anyone and everyone in the world who prays will receive, but it is that those who all, everyone who knows Jesus as king and prays receive from him. So friend, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as savior and king, these promises are for you to ask and to receive. But when we read what Jesus says, though, we can also say that this is only for those children of God who do actually ask. He says, everyone who asks receives, but in order to receive, we must ask. So what if we don't ask? What if we don't seek? What if we don't knock? we instance, we're disobeying Jesus' command here, and we're missing out on God's good, gracious design. Now, it's certainly true that God, in his grace, gives to his children gift upon gift that we never even ask for. So in spite of the fact that we often don't ask, God is so kind that he gives countless gifts to us. But Jesus does say, ask and receive. So so who knows what we might miss out on in this life when we fail or we choose not to ask. And in order to stir his people to pray, Jesus wants his followers, he wants us, to realize who it is we're asking. And that leads to third generous Father, in verses 9 to 11. Now, if you regularly attend Hope and you're following along, we're very quickly to point three. I'm sorry to tell you this is going to be the longest point. So you may be thinking like, wow, this is like record short sermon. I, I'm going to disappoint you. So this, this, we'll spend more time on number three. So the question is, when we ask, who are we asking? We're asking our perfect, loving, powerful, generous Father when we pray, we're not asking a distant, impersonal God. We're not asking a cold, disconnected deity. We're asking our Father. And what sort of Father is He? Our Heavenly Father is infinitely greater than the best earthly Father. Jesus lays this out in verse 9. He says, well, if a son asks his dad for bread... Will the dad instead give him a stone that looks like bread but isn't? And the implied uh, assumed answer is, well, of course not. No decent dad, in fact, not even typically a bad dad would do such a thing. He goes on in verse 10, if the son asks for a fish to eat, will he instead give him a serpent, a snake instead? And again, the answer is, well, of course not. No no normal, not even a basic bad dad would do something like that. And then Jesus speaks of you who are evil, of evil dads. And, he, and he's saying in this that all dads are evil, every single one of us, just like all humans are evil because we are sinners through and through. Sin has broken in and marred every single one of us. So This is not some earth-shaking statement when he calls dads evil because all of us, apart from the grace of God, are evil through and through. And then Jesus uses this very important comparison. Look in verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? Jesus said, if they'll do that, how much more Infinitely more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask him. So Jesus is saying, if sinful dads give good gifts to their children, even though they are selfish, prideful, sin-marked people as they all are, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? So Jesus draws the contrast to demonstrate a bit of the greatness of our heavenly Father. And how his goodness and the goodness of his gifts far exceeds what even the most exceptional human dad would give. Commentator Matthew Henry says it this way. All the compassions of all the tender fathers in the world compared with the tender mercies of our God would be but as a candle to the sun or a drop to the ocean. Friend, Do you believe that? That your father's tender mercies are so infinitely greater than even the most exceptional human dad. Now, I realize this comparison can be very challenging for some based upon your experience in this life. For some of you haven't had a human dad. Or some of you did, and it was anything but a good relationship. You had a, a dad, a father who did give you a stone instead of bread. And so the thought of God as Father is a challenge, it's a stumbling block to you. But now, we just love to, even as we mourn together that brokenness of this world, to encourage you to, to let the, the difficulties of this life just be a, a shadow of the greatness of this one true Father who is so much greater You can know him as your father. Your heavenly father has none of the arrogance, none of the habitual sin, none of the weakness and brokenness of your earthly father. Your heavenly father will never leave you. He is always faithful. He loves you with an unbreakable love. And our Heavenly Father has already provided the most extraordinary gift and therefore is absolutely worthy of our trust and of our prayers. For he's given us the the greatest gift, which is the gift of salvation. And he provided it long before we asked. When we had no interest in it, God in his grace has secured this for us. As we see in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, that is us, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So friend, if you're a Christian, any gift that our Heavenly Father gives you now or in the future will be dwarfed by the gift of God secured through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. There is no greater gift than that. That gift alone is sufficient. And yet we don't want to miss that Jesus does not say here, salvation alone is all you need. The very one who came to provide salvation is the one saying to us, ask, ask that my Father might give you good gifts. Not greater gifts, but additional gifts if you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, we're so glad that you would give a part of your Sunday to be with us today. We so much want you to know our heavenly Father. We do not worship some distant, impersonal God, but a gracious Father who in his great love sent forth Jesus Christ the Son, That through Christ's coming, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection, he would provide this great salvation now held out to any and all who'd receive it by faith. So friend, we invite you to explore that with us. This week is a good week to do that as we walk through this week of heading towards the cross of Christ. We'll remember on Friday, his resurrection on Sunday. We'd love for you to join us for those special services. And what does the Father give to those who ask? Verse 11 tells us good things. What are these good things? Well, in the context of the passage, in the midst of this sermon, it would certainly be growth in the character and godliness that we're being called to in the Sermon on the Mount. It would include provision of the most material things that we need in life and so much more. And so we ask our Father for those good things. We pray for others. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our own growth. We pray for the the real burdens and struggles of life. We we can pray for the plans of the day and of the week. We pray for the pains and problems that we face. Now, importantly, does this text mean that a child of God will receive everything that he or she asks for? I guess you've already been thinking that question. And the answer is no. So why? Why are there a number of reasons that we might not have prayers answered? Why is it that we might pray for something that that seems to be good and right and godly that may not be provided in the way that we ask? I mean, there are several reasons. First, the fact is our knowledge and understanding of this world, of ourselves, is not perfect. But our God's understanding is. He is perfect. He sees and knows all. So sometimes not all that we ask for ourselves is actually for our best. We often are convinced that it is, that it may be a good thing, even a godly thing. So we think it must be so. but The fact is God sees the bigger picture, and we don't. Very early on in the life of the church, about 17 years ago, we started, we had this building, and a building came available for sale up on Mass Ave, just past Porter Square. It's about twice the size of this building, an incredible location, so it seemed like a wise thing for us to think about, you know, might it be that God would provide the opportunity for us to buy that, to have more space for the church? So we talked about it, we prayed about it, we went and visited the space, we decided as a congregation to, to make an offer. So we pulled together, you know, what could we do if we sold this and tried to buy that? We put in an offer and we waited. Now You probably know what happened because we're still sitting in this building but we put in our offer, and the answer came that, that, no, you were outbid by a mere $1 million. I mean, we just missed, clearly. Like, we just barely missed that. No, it wasn't even close. So now it's, it's owned by Leslie University. It's a beautiful building now, but it's not used for preaching the gospel. Now, I never was convinced that was definitely what God was going to do. We, we as a congregation, weren't convinced. We said, this just seems like a wise thing to pursue, but we prayed. I admit, I was disappointed, frustrated. Because on so many levels, it seemed like a good thing. Why wouldn't it be a good thing to have more space and an even better location for people to come and hear the gospel? So the building would stay used for gospel purposes, not used for a classroom. So it was painful for me to face that. But now, 17 years later, I can look back and see more clearly that in some ways it was a gracious gift that we didn't get the building. We didn't have much money then, and we would have had a payment for the last 17 years, and we haven't had that. So ministry would have been greatly impacted because we would have needed to, to pay for the building. And if you think this building's in bad shape, you should see that building. There was so much work, we would have spent so much money just trying to keep it up. And though I think we would have still planted churches, the fact that we've had a smaller building probably has helped to to push us to plant faster, to plant more because of the lack of space. So that too was a kindness of God. So both were true. I was disappointed, heartbroken for a time. And at least in that situation, it was God's kindness. He was working for our good. Often in life, we won't see. Sometimes prayers aren't answered because we're asking our Father for what we think is a fish that would nourish us when in fact it's a serpent that would harm us. We don't see that. We don't know that. We're convinced actually this would be a good thing for me. This would be a a, a source of flourishing for me, for my life. But our Father sees how it, maybe even a good thing, could be dangerous for you. So out of love, he withholds it to protect you from what might be detrimental. Sometimes we don't receive because, honestly, we ask with wrong motives. Apostle James says it this way in James 4, 2, and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. So sometimes, if we're just honest, we say, yeah, sometimes I do ask with wrong motives. So no, our Father's not going to give when we ask with wrong motives. Sometimes we ask and we don't receive because it's not yet time. God may in time give it to us, but it's not yet the best time in his plan. Sometimes God doesn't give to us because because he wants us to grow in persevering. God's people across the generations have often found themselves waiting. And there's a goodness, a a maturing that comes in in waiting on God. Understanding how to be patient with God. Even to persevere and to keep asking. And sometimes, maybe often, we're left with a mystery. We've prayed what we think would be good we think might even be godly, we've asked and asked, just haven't received it. And these moments can be deeply painful and confusing. I know I have some of those instances in my life, and I'm guessing that almost everyone in the room does as well. Friends, the Christians are willing to say, our God is greater, so there's some things that he will do and that he won't do that we just won't understand in this life. So though it can be very painful, we, we choose to trust, we choose to keep trusting our Father even through mystery and the pain it involves It's interesting that as Jesus teaches us here, if you've been with us through 5, 6, and 7, he just taught us about prayer in chapter 6. So just a few Sundays ago, he gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. You'd think it would be, what else is there to say about praying? But in the very next chapter, the same sermon, Jesus returns. Why? Well, in the model prayer, he shows us how to pray. And that's good. We want to know how to pray. But That's an issue for us, but sometimes we know how to pray, and we still don't pray. So that's why Jesus returns here, because he wants to try to persuade them, persuade us, because he knows it will be an ongoing struggle. And if you're a Christian, the vast majority of Christians, we struggle to pray. And so that's why Jesus circles back here. He wants to urge us to ask. But why don't we ask? If our Father given us this call, if Jesus has encouraged us, given us these promises, why don't Christians pray? There are a number of reasons. One of those is that often we don't pray because we are self-reliant. Often I don't pray because I am self-reliant. I overestimate my own strength, my own ability to accomplish things, and we underestimate our need, our weaknesses. Because our prayerlessness is one of the surest signs of a self reliant heart. Now, in this world, as, as children grow up, so we've had children who've now grown up into adulthood, over time, children should change from childlikeness to greater maturity. When they're very young, they ask a lot of their parents, and that's a part of what parenting is. But as they get older, it's appropriate for them to become increasingly independent more and more on their own, less and less reliant on their parents so that eventually in life as adults, they almost never ask their parents for anything. But friends, that's God's good design for us as humans maturing, but that's not God's design for us as we follow Jesus. As we mature as Christians, friends, we should never mature beyond childlike praying. We'd never say, I'm I'm, I'm a really mature Christian now. I I don't need to pray as a child. That's absolutely incorrect. The more mature we are, the more childlike we should be in our praying. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Sometimes we don't pray because we've adopted basically a fatalistic outlook on the world. Meaning we think something like this, well, well, God is sovereign over all, so if God is sovereign over all, and if he knows what I need, why pray? Well, friends, let's be clear. We do believe that God is great, and he is sovereign over all, but the same God who's sovereign over all is the God who today, in our text, is telling us to ask. So this sovereign God loves to work in response to the prayers of his people, so both are true. God is sovereign and calls us, urges us, invites us to ask in faith. Sometimes we don't ask often because we we don't want to be a part of a sort of unhealthy worldview that's sort of a name it, claim it. Some, Some might take these promises and make them just a guarantee that says, if you pray, God must give you whatever you ask. So you can just make a demand of God. Jesus says this, so I'm going to demand it. You have to answer it. Friends, that sort of thinking, that name it, claim it, is foreign to the New Testament. But what we do is we fall over on the other extreme. And, And I would guess that the vast majority of us, our danger is not asking too much. The danger for us is not asking enough. We've stopped asking. We don't ask our Father. Sometimes we don't pray because we've been let down by God, we feel, in past experiences. We have these painful areas. We feel like we've asked. God hasn't come through. So we're tempted to give up on praying. And it's certainly tempting when we have some of those hard areas to see all of life through those. Whereas perhaps with some time, we could step back and see that it is true. I prayed for that and I did not receive it. And that's really disappointing and hard. And I prayed for this and didn't receive it. It's been very heavy and painful. But also, around that are so many things that God has given to me. Some that I asked for, some that I didn't. He's just so kind to give to us. So we'll be helped to at times to step back and to be honest. Like, yes, there are disappointments, but, but God's gifts are so many in every one of our lives. Friends, may you hear the words of Jesus to ask your Father. An author by the name of Jed Coppinger, who's written a new book that I'll mention in the title in a minute, he gives in his book four foundational childlike prayer principles. I think these are really helpful. So here's what he says they are. First, believe God can do anything. Second, embrace your childlike identity. Third, specify your requests. And then, fourth, trust God to do what's best with your requests. Number three, where he says, specify your requests, is a helpful challenge to me because I can often pray general, vague prayers. Praying often for good things, but really not very specific prayers. And here's what Coppinger writes specific prayers lead to specific answers. And when God answers us specifically, we see him in a way we never would without those specific requests. Specificity leads to visibility. When we get specific, the invisible God becomes visible in our lives in a way that we wouldn't without that specific request. Friend, I wonder, what would it look like in your life to pray specific requests for the real things in life, the real burdens, the real concerns that you have? And let's pray specifically that God would refresh our hope and confidence to ask him in prayer. That's a good thing to pray. God, help me this week to want to pray more. Author Paul Miller says it this way. Many Christians haven't stopped believing in God. We have just become functional deists, living with God at a distance. We view the world as a box with clearly defined edges. But as we learn to pray well, we'll discover that this is my Father's world. And because my father controls everything I can ask, and he will listen and act. Since I am his child, change is possible, and hope is born. Friend, if you're a Christian, this is your father's world. You are his child, so you can ask. And friend, change is possible. So friend, what do you need to ask your father today? And is it possible for any number of reasons you have stopped asking? Whatever your real concerns are, whatever your real needs are, whatever the real pains are today, let me encourage you, start asking again. Risk asking again. Let's begin to pray again passionately, persistently, specifically. And as we do, we pray with open hands, saying to our Father, ultimately may your will be done so we trust God to do what's best with our requests so in the end we honestly say this is what I desire father but I also I trust you with it I pray that your will would be done friends what a glorious opportunity we have in praying if you'd like to read more there are two books that I mentioned to you that are on the book table right over here Uh, The first I mentioned is called 21 Days to Childlike Prayer by Jed Coppinger. A group us in the church just read it together. It's really helpful, encouraging. It's $10, but if you don't have $10 and you'll read it, just take the book. The second book that I quoted from just a minute ago is called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Tremendously helpful book. Also $10, but if you don't have the money, just take the book if you'll read it. I think both of them would encourage you to want to pray more. Imagine with me a family... Well, they're a mom and a dad that are just average parents. And they have one child, a son, who grew up in their home. They had a relatively healthy relationship. So over the years, he asked for a lot, and she, they provided for him. He asked, and they provided. But he's grown up now, and he's 20 years old. He's moved out of the house. And so these parents adopt a six-year-old girl who's now their daughter. She's never had parents. So it's a massive shift as she comes home with them. And at first it's clear she's really hesitant to ever ask for anything. She's never had a parent who would provide. In fact, she's had just the opposite. In time, the 20-year-old older brother notices that and so he comes to her and says, you're now my sister. You're fully a part of this family. And I've noticed that you seem to never ask our mom and dad for anything. So I want to encourage you to ask them. To ask often, to ask for whatever you need. As a matter of fact, I want to teach you how to do this. So he spends time with her showing them how to ask. He doesn't live, but he lives nearby. But So he'll, he'll text her, he'll call her, just say, have you been asking mom and dad? That she would see herself as fully a part of this family with access to them. Friends, do you see that for the Christian, Jesus is now stunningly our elder brother? We've been adopted into the family of God. And in our text today, Jesus is coming to us and saying, I've noticed you haven't been asking our Father for much. You never ask, or you've stopped asking. And so Jesus is saying to us, let me show you how to ask. Our Father wants you to ask. Won't you ask? And won't you keep asking? Won't you trust our Father? He will give to you good gifts. Friends, that's what Jesus is saying to us today in the text. Trust, ask our generous Father. He gives good gifts to us. He is faithful, gracious and loving. So friends, let's keep asking our gracious Father, who gives good gifts to His children. And this morning as a means of response, there's a connection card in your worship guide, maybe we could pray for you and with you. We would love to do that as a church. You can just note that on the card. Just a few moments, we'll receive the offering. Just drop those cards in the basket as a means of response. I'm going to pray and after we pray, we're going to sing as we lift our voices to God and trust in Him. Let's bow our heads. As we pray, Father, we're thankful for your faithfulness, for your grace, because you're faithful to your children. Lord, I pray for some who are weighed down by painful situations in the past where they have asked and it's not been answered. So we do live in this mystery at times. We, we mourn at times the, the pain of life in this world. So help us, Father, to see again your greatness, your faithfulness. Help us to grow in trust and reliance on you in our praying, in Jesus' name.